This is the Pack Brothers Podcast. Here are your hosts, David and Michael. All right, greetings, salutations, and all that jazz. From not as sunny Anderson, Indiana, the city not as beautiful, this is the Pack Brothers Podcast. I'm David Pack, and joining me, as always, is my identical twin brother, Michael. Yes, hello out there in podcast land. Thank you so much for listening. So the intro there was uh, poison. Is that an indication of what's coming? Yes, it is. Uh, we're going to be talking about another character from the past, uh, very different from Time for Timer. This is a character who never really said anything, never moved. Um, we don't know much about this character. We have only two, know, two things about this character. Okay. He's mean, and he's green. Oh, that's, that's a good teaser. So um, first, I want to tell you who the show is brought to you by today. And it's brought to you by Cotton Candy Crunch. This is one of the limited-time flavors of Captain Crunch. And I was always been a fan of Captain Crunch. There's been Captain Crunch, and you've got the Crunch Berries, and then Oops All Berries, all kinds of variations they've had throughout the years. And this is a Cotton Candy Crunch variant, and it's pretty special if you like that sort of thing. I opened up the box, and you just hit with a wave of cotton candy smell. Yeah, they really did a good job of capturing that cotton candy flavor, for lack of a better word, that smell, definitely the aroma of cotton candy is there. It, the, yeah, the taste is good, too, I think. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't taste at all, in my opinion, like Captain Crunch. It's like a new thing. Uh, number one, Captain Crunch, I still think is peanut butter Captain Crunch. Oh, yeah. How did I forget that? But still, Cotton Candy Crunch, if you're looking for a really, really sweet cereal, is a good choice, especially if you like Cotton Candy and Captain Crunch. This is like uh, your dream come true, I guess. Exactly. Uh, so check that out uh, when you're in your cereal aisle. Pick up a box, and you won't be disappointed there, I don't think. No, I think you'll like it if you like that kind of thing. Okay, so, yeah, this is uh, a mean and green character from the past. It's not Mean Joe Green, is it? It's not Mean Joe Green, okay, no. Okay, I, I didn't think so. No, to, we're going to be talking today about Mr. Yuck. Mr. Yuck. Now... I remember growing up and seeing the stickers yep. um, at the house, but I, that's, I don't really know anything about Mr. Yuck other than that. Don't drink the stuff that he's on. And you know, I'm sure you remember the commercial, because that would play on Saturday mornings around the same time as Time for Timer when we were growing up. Yeah, just a little public service announcement to introduce the character to the kids and explain his purpose and how you can get sick and all that good stuff. Absolutely, yeah. So to, to give you a little bit of background of the history of Mr. Yuck, we actually have to go back to the 1930s. Oh, my word, <laughs> 1930s? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, if going to the 40s, after World War II, there was just a lot of new drugs and chemicals hitting the marketplace. Some of that was developed from the war effort. Some of it was just the economic boom of the time after the war. So all these new drugs and chemicals were hitting the market. And unfortunately, at the same time, a lot more suicide and childhood poisonings from those agents were drastically increasing. Oh, I guess because of all the new stuff, kids would see it. It would look nice. Or, hey, let's try this. And well, this was before the childproof cap, too. So this is oh, something that yeah. uh, it just... At that time, 
you know, when people talked about poison, they were talking about usually one of three things. Either plants were poisonous, and that, that was something they had to stay away from, like white berries and other things like that you shouldn't eat. Um, or poison, you know, like things like arsenic or cyanide, things like that. Put something in their food or drink and kill people with it. Exactly, yeah. Or uh, animals. You know, they talk about a snake being poisonous. They probably meant venomous, but they, they said poisonous a lot. So that's the kind of concept that when people thought of poison, that's what they were thinking of. Okay, so they weren't thinking of stuff you would find around the house or these new products that people were buying. Exactly, yeah. And this is, you know, this concept of everything can be poisonous or anything can be poisonous really wasn't even in the public mindset at that time. Um, so there were some factors that led to the medical community developing a response to these unintentional, intentional poisonings. And um, back in the 30s, even before some of this started, there was a man named Louis Dahlman, G-D-A-L-M-A-N. <laughs> That's a weird name. It is a weird name. And uh, he, so he was a pharmacist, and he was very knowledgeable in the chemistry of harmful substances. And he actually set up a poison information service at St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, so he's just, that's where people would go to get their knowledge. He was like the Wikipedia or the Internet of Poison of the time, <laughs> of, the, of the 30s. And he, would, uh, he, would, he was known not only in Chicago, but in the country as the person to go to if there was a poisoning case. And he would, he would be taking calls at home around the clock. He was just the guy who they would go to. Wow. That's yeah. a <laughs> I don't know if I want that job, but here you can you tell me about poison and just have to do that over and over again? <laughs> right, yeah. I, it's definitely, you have to have a certain mindset. But in the, uh, in the late 40s, he began to collect new information on these toxic substances. And by 1953, he had an extensive library of information on all, thousands of these poisons. And he actually established the first poison control center uh, along with a man named Edward Press. Okay, so this is like the first time they actually had... This is where you're going to have to go to get your information. Don't call me at home anymore. Go to the Poison Control Center. Cool. We're right. going to give out the information. Well, it wasn't way. called a Poison Control Center yet, but they were, they were getting there. Okay, okay. They were getting there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is sort of like, uh, was, so what was the next step? So a survey conducted by the Committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics in 1951 found that accidental poisoning encountered for more than half of all emergencies handled by a pediatrician. Oh my goodness, so they weren't taking them there for the cold or for strep throat or for a fever. Half of them were poisoned. Well, they were taking them for those things, but half of all the emergencies, over half, oh. were poisonings. You know, they would take them to the pediatrician, okay. obviously, for normal okay. stuff. But so this is just for, like, emergencies, you know, you know, for arm break or something. Half of them are poisoned. Oh yeah, half, goodness. yeah. And uh, one story at that time showed that children accounted for 80% of all reported poisonings, oh. <clears throat> almost all of them accidental. It wasn't like they were being poisoned by their parents or anything. Some of them were, I guess, but most of them were not. It was all accidental. Oh my goodness! So at the same in this early 50s, you started to see these poison control centers begin to be established, and they grew rapidly as the awareness of this acute poisoning was raised in popular periodicals of the time, like Parents Magazine and Reader's Digest. Newsweek had an article titled "Tragedy at Fingertips." And uh, this was started to be viewed as a social problem that was in need of solving. Okay, so that we see a problem, let's find a solution. Exactly. So, uh, again, this was before child-proof caps. Even kids could open these caps easily. 
And poison control centers, they grew in popularity. Uh, the number of them increased to over 500 over the next 10 years, peaking at 641 in 1976. <laughs> so that's a lot of poison control centers. It, it is. And actually, this was before there was any regulation in the industry. Anybody could claim to be a poison control center. And I don't know why you would, but that was just, there was just no regulation whatsoever. So you could just hang up a shingle and say, all right, I'm the poison control center for this town. <laughs> yep, so, pretty much. You know, come to me for all your poison needs Absolutely. or cures. <laughs> yeah, hopefully your cures, not your needs. But th there were a lot of parents who were taking their kids to the emergency room instead of calling the poison control center. Okay, so that's probably a... A bad thing because if you're poisoned, you don't want to like call and figure things out. You want to take care of it probably pretty quickly. That's what they thought. Yeah, they thought I have to rush my kid to the emergency room. They didn't even know about the poison control centers. And also, not all household products that could poison kids were clearly marked on the label. There was no universal marking for this is poisonous. Right. And they may not even be able to read. So, right. So there was one popular symbol at the time, that was used to note something was poisonous. You can probably guess what that was. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess like a skull or a skull and crossbones. Exactly, the skull and crossbones. That was the, 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 the symbol that denoted this is poisonous, this could kill you. You don't have to be able to read to know that. You just know that's a scary symbol. And it seems like I remember cartoons growing up would have, whenever a character would have something poison, it would have that symbol on it. Uh, but now when I think of Skull and Crossbones, I think of pirates for whatever reason. Well, then that was exactly the problem. There was one city in America where there appeared to be an increase in childhood poisonings in the early 70s. And that was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so they were the ones, they saw the pirates as a good thing. Exactly. Uh, they saw the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team. They were winning World Series and they crawled under the sink, and they saw this bottle with a pirate's symbol on it and thought, oh, I want some of that. I'll drink that, and I'll be like Roberto Clemente or something. <laughs> and then little did they realize that they were, you know, meeting their doom. Right, that they could potentially get very ill. So, yeah, some of these kids, the theory went anyway, that they weren't being repelled by that Jolly Roger. They were associating it with their favorite baseball team, may have been attracted to it. Oh, um, yeah, I never thought about it. I never made that connection before, but it, it kind of makes perfect sense. Yeah, it certainly made sense to the people who were behind Mr. Yuck. So that was, they saw the need for the creation of a new poison control symbol. So that's what led to the beginning of Mr. Yuck. Oh, so th that, uh, yeah, I mean, that has to make sense because you can't have that symbol for the Jolly Roger for everything. You've got to have something universally known. Exactly. Skull and crossbones, it was universally known, but it was apparently causing some confusion, or at least that's the theory behind the, the Mr. Yuck campaign. Uh, so starting in 1971, the Mr. Yuck campaign was developed, and it was not called the Mr. Yuck campaign at the time. He hadn't had a name yet, but under the auspices of Dr. Richard Moriarty and this advertising public relations firm Vic Maitland and Associates. So they were like the madmen of that time. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so uh, Dr. Moriarty was quoted in an article saying, frantic parents were making mad dashes to emergency rooms when what they needed to do was to call a poison center, get the right information, and more than likely just sit tight. There wasn't anything they could do at the, poison, or at the emergency room for that. Right. 
they need to take action there. Uh, right. There's things they could do at home right. that would be quicker. Induce it, vomiting or whatever. Exactly. Something that would help the kid to recover from that. You know, how much did they drink? What exactly was it? How dangerous is it? And so uh, going to the emergency room is going to cost time. What, there was one example he gave. A family in Pittsburgh was killed running a red light and hit broadside in a needless dash to the emergency room. Mm. They didn't even need to go. Oh, my goodness. So this was a big problem. So they wanted to know how to get people to contact the poison center and get some advice and how to get this information out to kids. Uh, so he wanted, Moriarty wanted to develop a poison education program that would keep kids from eating and ingesting this poisonous or corrosive product, displayed contact information for parents, and uh, he, so he had some conditions he also wanted this. He didn't want any logo with a sports association. Right. We don't want another Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, right. You can't make it like a horseshoe, you know, to be, be lucky and don't have poison because then the Colts kids right. would be confused. Exactly. No uh, Red Sox. No, no. <laughs> I don't know how you associate that with poison, but I don't know. So he also wanted to be attention grabbing and educational. So this is the first time. They tried to update the imagery for poison in at least 200 years. So this was kind of a weird <laughs> undertaking at the time. Right. So uh, I'm sure they probably went through several different um, things that some were better or worse before they landed on that. Or maybe they just held it right out of the park. I don't know. Well, they, they, what they did is they held focus groups with children under five because they're the ones who they thought were going to be the most important. They were the ones who were at most at risk of accidental poisoning. So they wanted to get the kid's opinion on this. Okay, so like what scares you? What would make you not want to touch this? Right, absolutely. They asked them, what might happen to you if you put something bad in your mouth? And they said, one of three things. Number one, their mother would yell at them. <laughs> number two, they would die. And number three, they'd get sick. So an artist interpreted the children's comments in three different images. The first one was, poison will make your mother yell at you. <laughs> and it was an angry face on a stop sign. Okay. And it didn't work because no. the kids liked the color red too much. They liked the sticker, and they didn't want them necessarily to like the sticker. They wanted to see this kind of like have a visceral reaction when they see it. Like, don't, like, don't go near me. Right, exactly. So the other one, second one, poison could kill you. So they made a, quote, dead face, but still based on the skull and crossbones. And that didn't work either because it still confused the children. They liked the visual allusion to their baseball team, which was bad. And they also disliked the black and white of the image. It didn't catch your attention, so it was uh, a bust. Yeah, it'd be maybe even dark if, like, you're going in the cabinet or something. You might even notice if it's dark like that. Exactly. So the third one, poison can make you sick. So this is obviously the one that stuck. So the designer used a variation of the, at the time, it was ubiquitous, the smiley face. It was very popular. Yeah, I guess it was, because I guess, like, I'm thinking, like, Forrest Gump and stuff. At that time, the smiley face was, like, a big symbol that was being... It, it was really popular in the 70s and late 60s. So uh, it was like a smiley face, but instead it's expressioned a signal an upset stomach. Mm. And so they tested eight colors. And the kids chose the fluorescent green. Back then it was known as Dayglow. Okay. 
And so, one of the kids, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to say, so that's be very visible. Right. And one of the kids looked at their face and that color and said, he looks yucky. Oh, so he named it, I bet. Right. And so Moriarty said, we got a name. We called him Mr. Yuck. Mr. Yuck. So it, Mr. Yuck is actually the first symbol specifically designed for kids and by kids because the final logo was created by fourth grader Wendy Brown from West Virginia. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mountaineer. Yep. So part of a contest sponsored by the Pittsburgh Poison Center. Man, where are those contests when I was growing up? I know, right? Wouldn't you have loved to like, hey, we're going to design a <laughs> poison logo. You want to get in on this action? Yeah, I pretty cool, huh? I would have, uh, you know, gave it a shot. It would have looked terrible and I would have lost, but it would have been fun. Yeah, I know. So it was pretty cool. Um, so in 1971, they had this character. So they created a 60-second Mr. Yuck commercial. Oh, do we have that? On a very tight budget, yes. And it led to an increase in awareness and popularity of that symbol. So we, we have the commercial here. We'll go ahead and play it. It's just a little over a minute. Okay. Well, I definitely want to hear this. All right. Here we'll we put it on the website, too. Oh, yeah. We'll put links to this on the website. And I went to a lot of sources for this. There were a lot of good articles, Wikipedia, Mental Floss. There were some other ones, actually even academic papers talking about the effectiveness of poison control symbols. Uh, so kind of dug deep into this a little bit. But it's interesting, I think. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll put the links up. Okay. All right, but I want to hear Mr. Yuck. Here's Mr. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is green. Home is full of lots of things that children shouldn't touch. Home is full of bad things that can hurt you very much. Now there's a man whose face is green that you ought to get to know. He'll warn you when danger's coming fast or slow. Get to know his face in every single place. When you see it, you'll know quick. Things marked yuck make you sick. Sick, sick, sick. Sick, sick, sick. Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is green. Yikes. I mean, that's creepy. <laughs> I remember finding the commercial unsettling when it would come on uh, during the Saturday morning. It was kind of a... I, get, I don't know if I even want to watch this right now. It's just very spooky. It's a little shock to the system, I think. And the point of it was to scare children to a certain extent. They needed to know that this was not a good... Don't associate good feelings with this face. This is a scary face. Stay away. Yeah, I, exactly. And I remember the stickers being on the stuff at the home. Now, I have no idea where they came from. If they just gave them out to parents when they had a baby at the hospital, like here's your Mr. Yuck stickers, or you know where where they were even picked up, but I know that they were there. Uh, I don't think and they weren't sold on the products themselves. I don't think products would love to have their stickers all over it. But really, the, the two places you could get them is you could send away for them. They would send them to you for free. They, you could mail away stickers, and as far as I know, you still can. You can still get Mr. Yuck stickers if you mail away for them to the Pittsburgh Poison Center. Uh, you, they would also have some of them in pharmacies. You could just grab them, or I don't know if you just got them for free or bought them there, but I know that those are the two places you could get yeah, them. Yeah, I, I haven't seen them lately, um, but maybe I haven't been looking. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, that uh, ad obviously increased the, uh, the awareness of that symbol. And actually, they made a whole song for that. There's another verse of that jingle. Really? That they had to cut for time for the commercial. Had to keep it tight. One minute. Right. So it, it goes pretty much, Mr. Yuck is mean, Mr. Yuck is green, obviously. When you see him, stop and think. Do not smell. Do not drink. Do not touch. Do not eat or you will be sick. Sick, sick, sick. And if you think about the, the testing they did with the kids, that was the one that resonated with them. You will be sick if you eat this. So that's why they kept saying, sick, sick. You're going to be sick. Because kids hate being sick. They hate being sick, unless they get to stay home from school. But right. this was just a really bad sick. You know, they like to play sick, but you don't want to be this sick. Right. These kids in the commercials, they show them all cramped up and looking upset. Yeah, and it's not, it's a pretty, like, uh, not the most expensive-looking uh, commercial I've ever seen either. No, it was very... Uh, Done on the cheap at the time. Yeah, it's not even like animated. It's just kind of like stills. Stills, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when the stickers were started to give out, uh, by 1973, more than 2 million stickers had been distributed. Oh, my word. And what really made it take off is in 1975, the Mr. Yuck commercial aired during the Super Bowl <laughs> <laughs> between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Vikings. Okay, so this like, all right, we know a lot of Pittsburghs watching. We need to get them acquainted with this. Exactly. So that led to a large increase in popularity. So by 79, 50 million stickers were being distributed annually. <laughs> that is a lot of yuck. That is a lot of yuck. And the, one of the interesting things about this is rival programs started to rise up. Different systems and logos even to establish turf for different hospitals. So all right, Pittsburgh, you got Mr. Yuck, but we're over here. We don't want Mr. Yuck. We want our own thing. Right. They, they started to see the public relations value that was intrinsic to poison centers and developing relationships with potential clients. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like the business of medicine. It's kind of a strange thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they were getting rich off these Mr. Yuck stickers they were giving away, I don't think. And some of them, it depended on which area of the country you were. You might be less familiar with Mr. Yuck, but you might be more familiar with some of these other logos. And we'll put up at least the ones I could find on uh, the website as well. Do you want to mention any of the other logos? Yep. So there's Pinky the Elephant. Hey, that sounds darling. I know. It's actually a walk-around character. So it's kind of strange. It's more, I guess, to talk to kids and interact with them as okay. opposed to, to, warn, to warn them in a friendly way as opposed to scaring them. So there was Officer Ugg, who looks like a policeman holding like his gloves over his mouth, like he's sick or something. He's got a very day-glow green face as well, but he's, he's dressed like a policeman. Okay, so he's got the, like, the authority connotation there. Right. No Psyop the Snake. No Psyop the Snake. Yeah, so it's poison spelled backwards. Oh, okay. And the way it's uh, on the logo, you see it, it looks like the words no, stop. Okay. But it says no Psyop because uh, it's poison backwards. And it's actually a pretty mean-looking snake. It's not a very pleasant image. Uh, it's cartoony, but you can tell it's not friendly just from looking at it. Mm. So other ones were Fireman Red, Captain Be Careful, <laughs> and maybe the best one, Uncle Barf. Uncle Barf. <laughs> Uncle Barf, yeah. <laughs> I think I've had a few Uncle Barfs. Yeah, I, I could not find any images of some of these. Uh, unfortunately, I could not find an Uncle Barf image. But uh, I think the mental picture I have in my head is effective enough. I think so. So as far as uh, these, these battle for these poison icons came to a head in 2001, 
And that's when the federal government provided funds to consolidate the number of poison centers. This was down, now they were, at the time, there were only 60 left because they were already consolidated. Okay, yeah, so up from their high of like 600 or whatever, right? Right, exactly. So the, this grant actually also paid for a national hotline, 1-800-222-1222. So, so pretty easy to remember. Yep. I mean, most of the time, people go on the Internet now. But in 2001, it was important, I guess. So calling that number, anybody in the U.S. or U.S. territory could be put in touch with the nearest poison center. And as part of that effort, uh, it was decided to have the first nationwide symbol accepted by all national poison centers. So no more regional characters. Right. We need uh, one face. <laughs> <laughs> right. For the, you know, they might still be regional characters, but they're not necessarily associated officially with the American Association of Poison Control Centers. But Mr. Yuck was under consideration for use. So he wasn't chosen? He lost in a vote by the board members from seven to five. Oh, my goodness. I did not know this. I am distraught that he is not the face of poison control. He's not. They developed a new symbol. What is the symbol? It's a pill bottle with a Jolly Roger on it. Oh, no. Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's the symbol. And we can put that symbol up there, too. But, yeah, that's the national poison control symbol. So they, they learned nothing. They went backwards. I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates aren't as good as they used to be, and they're not having this problem anymore. Childproof caps helped a lot. There are some studies that say, did these really do any good? Um, but uh, regardless, I do think they did some good. They might not have been the what turned the tide, but if they saved you know, one life, it was enough. Well, definitely, but I, I'm still just salty over Mr. Yuck not being the symbol. I know. It's, it's kind of a harm. I do remember that the commercial brings back a lot of memories. I don't necessarily think they're good memories. It's just, oh, yeah, I remember that commercial. And I, I always thought it was kind of creepy. I remember seeing the bottles, too, and thinking, I can't drink this stuff. Yeah, I never was tempted to really drink the stuff under the counter, though. No. I mean, not that I think the kids who did are dumb. They just <laughs> didn't know any better. But it just wasn't anything. I wasn't playing around in the bathroom that much. I just had toys in my room I was fine That's with. That's right. Thanks to Atari and <laughs> He-Man, I'm alive today. <laughs> Clearly, they get the lion's share of the credit. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so uh, is that it? That's all I had for all Mr. Right. Yuck. Well, that, was, uh, that was excellent. Uh, very amusing and informative as well. Yeah, there, I mean, you could really go into the weeds. Like I said, there's all these even academic papers that are just uh, full of details that I couldn't cover. And there's a lot of good information out there. I'll put links up to some of them in the, uh, on the website, too. I, I look forward to looking at those in my spare time. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, we can chat a little bit about some food news coming out. Um, okay. Spotted... At Walmart's lately, there is a, I guess you could call it a hybrid chocolate bar. It's a Hershey's, it's a Hershey bar, kind of like, you know, I guess the famous Hershey bar that you all think of when you think of it, just a normal wrapper. But it says Hershey's milk chocolate and Whoppers. Ooh. So it's like the bar is almost looks like it's cut in half. And half the bar looks like it's a regular Hershey bar. The other half looks like it's a Whopper you know, it got the lot sort of tan hmm. uh, beige wrapping on it. Okay. And it's like a milk chocolate bar, and inside of it are malt flavored cookie bits. Hmm. That sounds interesting. So I guess it's kind of in the same vein as the cookie and cream bars, but uh, it's just a regular Hershey bar, but inside it, the crunch is like Whopper malt type flavor. I do like the sound of that. I know when they had the 
Reese's peanut butter cup with the Reese's pieces in it. Mm-hmm. Or even I think they had a Hershey bar with Reese's pieces. Yeah, they did. Those are both great. I love Reese's pieces anyway. And I also like Whoppers. So I think this is one I'll definitely be wanting to try. Yeah, when I think about it, my hope is that it's going to taste like a chocolate malt. Because um, you've got the, oh, Hershey, yeah. the Hershey's chocolate and you've got the, the malt of the uh, Whopper bits inside of it. So uh, that's my hope anyway. Well, yeah, if it's half as good as that, that would be wonderful. I mean, I like Whoppers anyway. I, I, for some reason, I never think to buy them, but uh, if someone's got a box of them or a carton or however they sell those, I always want to have a few. Yeah, uh, same here. Another thing to look out for right now is just test marketing. They're test marketing them in at Kentucky Fried Chickens in Virginia and in, coincidentally, the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pennsylvania area. Oh, wow. Uh, it's Kentucky Fried Chicken and Donuts. Oh. Served hot. So there's a couple of different ways you can order that. They've got a Kentucky Fried Chicken and Donut Basket Meal which you get a choice of fried chicken on the bone or chicken tenders, mm-hmm. and it's paired with a donut. That sounds or, uh, A donut? Yeah, A donut for five forty nine. Or you can opt for a big basket meal, which comes with two donuts okay. for seven forty nine. That would be the one I think I'd be most interested in. The other one is a little bit weird. It's the Kentucky Fried Chicken and Donut Sandwich. Oh, no. Which has an extra crispy chicken filet, uh, if you ever had a crispy kernel, that's that's the okay. same. Okay, um, the same. That's that same uh, fillet sandwich between two glazed donuts. No, <laughs> um, that's like you see those at the state fair sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, a lot of state fairs it's called the Luther Burger or the Luther Sandwich. I don't know who Luther was, but no, thank you. I think it was Lex Luther because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, a diabolical, dastardly. Uh, no, maybe it's Luther Sanders. Maybe it's his brother. Maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, that doesn't sound very good. I, like, I like the whole chicken and waffles concept, and uh, donuts are good. Chicken's good. They're good together, but I don't know if I want to have them both in the same bite. No, no. Uh, sometimes sweet and salty works together, yep. but not always. No, that, just, that sounds aggressive and maybe a little rich. <laughs> yeah, very rich. But keep them, keep them separated. Uh, that's, that's my advice of the day. All right. Um, I don't think we have anything else. Uh, Do you want to talk about the mystery Oreos? Oh, yeah. You know what? Let's go ahead and talk about the mystery Oreos. We did try those. We teased them last episode, and we did end up trying them. Yeah, found them uh, shortly after that episode, I think. And uh, Or maybe we found them before. I can't remember. Time passes. Um, but what did you think? Well, you know, I liked them, but they taste so much like cinnamon roll to me. They're it's very cinnamon. Um, so much so that, you know, it's hard to kill chocolate. Oh, it destroys it. It does. I mean, that's, you don't even hardly taste the cookie. There's so much cinnamon in there. It does taste a lot. I mean, if you like uh, that flavor of kind of cinnamon roll stuff, definitely get them. I've heard other, like, variations on the guests. I've heard French toast and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that got Matarazzo from... Uh, Stranger Things was asked to try it by Oreo, maybe because he's an influencer, is popular. I don't know. They never asked me to try it on my Instagram. I, I know. I don't get it. But anyway, I'm not bitter. And uh, I want to, he, he, he thought a French toast was something that it could be uh, as a potential. There's actually clues that Oreo's giving out uh, as to what the mystery flavor could be. And there are like 
Like they'll have these rhymes of, or these little poems of uh, hints of what it could be. Uh, I haven't seen except any except for the first one, and I really didn't understand it. It was above my head somehow. Yeah, well, it's like had a goat on it or something, didn't it? Yeah, it was, a, or a ram or something. Uh, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know what I had to do with cinnamon because that was the predominant flavor, unless my taste buds were lying to me. Well, yeah, I don't think they were, though. So if you see them out, try them. Let us know what you think and what your guess is, and maybe we will feature some of the guesses if we receive any. Yeah, I meant to check the mail before, and I didn't, so... I'm guessing we probably didn't get any guesses. But, uh, hey, you could also respond to our Twitter or leave a comment on our Facebook. That would also yeah. work. You can email us. It's packbrospodcast. That's P-A-C-K-B-R-O-S podcast at gmail.com. The Twitter is at packbrospodcast. Facebook, it's facebook.com slash packbrospodcast. So and, of course backbrospodcast.com where we'll have links to this episode and links to some of the articles and the Mr. Yuck uh, commercial that we talked about during the episode today. And we'll drop an occasional blog on there. We reviewed the stuffed cheese at pizza from Pizza Hut earlier this week. We'll see we put that up there. So if you want to know our thoughts about that, that's where you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, crypto scratching out the door, so it's time to go. If you enjoy the podcast, you want to help out, subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Tell your friends and neighbors and strangers. And um, maybe we can get more than a few listeners. That would be fine. If not, that's okay with me, too. I'm just doing this for myself, mostly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you then. See ya. Let us be together tonight.